This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, the shutdown of the TMX pipeline is causing gas prices to rise and drop across Canada. All the demand is changing. Dan McTagg with Canadians for Affordable Energy explains why and if players in the oil and gas industry are benefiting from this. Turns out retail gas people in some areas of Canada are not dropping their prices with wholesale prices and taking some dough. Real tree or Christmas tree? What if there was an even more eco-friendly way for you to have your Christmas tree in your living room? Daichi Ishikawa, co-owner of Evergrow Trees in BC, shares how their company can give you a Christmas tree that is alive and you can plant it afterwards in your home for the holidays. Blaine Kylo is back on the shift to talk about the newest look of the video game Starfield, the next game from the developers of Skyrim and Fallout, plus big updates for the biggest games of the year that will make playing them over the holidays better and fun. This is the Shift Podcast. There's so much going on in the world of energy in Canada. Dan McTagg is with us back again, former Liberal MP, Canadians for Affordable Energy, and so many places for us to go here. Dan, there are some beautiful highlights in energy that we can celebrate a little bit. Uh, There's a little bit of sneaky and there's a little bit of what the heck is happening in the world. How are you doing? I'm doing fine and good to be here again, Shane. And yes, it's all energy this week. So let's start with BC. All of the rain, uh, everything that's come, Trans Mountain, still not open, is it? Not, yes, not open. And uh, as I expected, it would take a lot longer than the optimistic original you know, calculation of 8 to 12 days. Uh, look, it's a significant and important piece of infrastructure. And it's unique in the sense that there are very few you know, pipelines like it beyond its age. Uh, and you know, impeccable record. I think the company wants to keep it that way. Uh, the other factor is the uh, wanting to ensure that uh, there is an orderly, you know, restart of of a very important conduit that, you know, for all intents and purposes, is the lifeline of the economic, uh, you know, activity that takes place in uh, Lower Mainland and mm-hmm. Vancouver Island, and so not just for. You know, British Columbia. Remember, 150,000 barrels goes to the Washington State refineries. They they also have uh, a vested interest in making sure this pipeline remains. So unusual times. Uh, you know, sad to see the the, the weather having uh, had such a an impact. Uh, but hopefully, that's behind us, and you know, we can start uh, getting back to the point where these things can be rebuilt and uh, and and back up and running again. Well, it has been a very good opportunity for us to reevaluate so many things. And I I would think that if you were an anti-pipeline type of person, concerned about environment, concerned Uh, about behavior of of companies, and hey, man, there are good companies, there are bad companies, there has been bad behavior. There is no disputing that. But there's also been so much good behavior that doesn't get talked about. And the fact that this has not been rushed, and it does speak to the evidence of Canadian companies being responsible for their geographical partners around them. I mean, I think that's that's really telling because the result of this has been moving things by train and that conversation again. So I, this is such, what a great opportunity for everyone to just kind of take the lens and step back and go, hey, wait a second. This has not been rushed back in. This should be encouraging for people to know that the businesses are doing the right thing. And I would say that it's the right thing to slow this thing down as much as it's inconvenient to make sure it's done properly. Well, and that's right. I mean, this is an important pipeline, but more importantly, the company is being extraordinarily careful in, in ensuring that uh, uh, you know something as sophisticated as a pipeline that carries batched forms of uh, oil some days, diesel the next, gasoline the next, uh, 
is brought back in a way that uh, limits the prospect of it leaking, breaking, or creating uh, some kind of uh, contamination or environmental disaster. And so far, so good in, in Vancouver. So, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing what happens when people, business, and governments work together. And it takes a crisis to start putting away some of the differences that we often see. Uh, you know, the idea of pipelines being, you know, always used as a football, especially in the province of British Columbia, uh, with the Trans Mountain expansion. Uh, you know, this really does speak to the need for uh, a pipeline that is well managed uh, and for which uh, great care is taken to ensure that uh, they're doing everything they can in their power to, uh, uh, as it were, bring this back on in an orderly way so that, uh, you know, we can all continue to enjoy the benefits of what that pipeline provides, like it or not. I mean, we, we can't do away with, you know, uh, hydrocarbons anytime soon. So uh, hats off to uh, TMX and to, more importantly, I think the people who've been working there, and I don't just mean the pipeline itself, but people working hard to get roads back up, dikes back in, in place, and of course, uh, uh, our transportation infrastructure still not there and still very much challenged. They were waking up this morning to, you know, uh, you know, there has been a significant amount of rain. and uh, But I think all in all, people have come together and it's uh, it's the Canadian way. Now, you're in Ontario, I'm in Alberta, and we're talking about BC. I I thought it would be a great look for people in Ontario to watch closely to what's happening in BC, because if Line 5, if Enbridge's Line 5 were to get shut down for whatever reason, this is your foreshadowing, right? This is sort of the preface chapter of the book of what this starts to look like when we only have one lifeline going into these areas. Well, that's it. I mean, if you think about it, uh, Ontario, Quebec would uh, effectively lose two-thirds uh, of their economic uh, engines that based on gasoline, diesel, aviation, fuel, and natural gas liquids, which uh, is otherwise used for things like propane. And of course, to, you know, to run the all-important petrochemical uh, sector, the kind of stuff that makes, you know, your plastics, that makes your computers, that makes your glasses, makes your paints, et cetera. So, you know, it does suggest for Ontarians, for the rest of the world, just in Canada especially, just how important pipelines are and that, you know, the opposition to it is completely incongruent with uh, what it has done to maintain, manage and enhance our standard of living in this country. And I, you know, and if people are going to get mad at that, they can get mad as, they, as much as they like. Those who are stammering in anger also go home and turn on the, you know, TV made with fossil fuels, turn up the, you know, the, uh, the heat keep themselves warm, mm -hmm. nice clothes. All these things could not be possible without the the miracle of hydrocarbons. And so for that reason, for us in Ontario, something to keep in mind, uh, a simple pipeline means so much for our economic well-being and for our social well-being. Yeah, and, and the, the experiment is happening right now. Like, how do you adapt when weather hits and the, uh, the pipeline is turned off for safety? So what happens? Well, this is starting to be what happens. And then the hypocrisy, in my opinion, starts to be exposed when, oh, no, we can't have tankers on the West Coast. Well, until we're out of gas, then we have no problem floating barges in with it, right? <laughs> like, But that, that goes to show that, you know, oh, well, we don't want tankers unless it's inconvenient for me. Then, then I don't mind barges floating in and getting towed in, uh, filled with fuel. So we are seeing rationing that is going on. Although it is kind of an honor system of rationing, there's nothing stopping anybody from getting 30 liters here and driving down the road and getting 30 liters there. But it's an attempt, and I th I think they've done a pretty good job. Do you have any insight on the rationing, and and does that just end when when uh, Trans Mountain reopens? 
Well, you know, I had said to your colleagues at CKNW back a few weeks ago, Simon Little, Jazz Jahal, uh, you know, Janet Brown. I said, look, I, I think this uh, rationing will go a lot longer than just a couple of weeks or, you know, 10, 12 days. It's it's going to go for a few weeks. Uh, and there's a couple of reasons for that. But um, we can talk about, you know, the fact that it is, uh, uh, you know, it is uh, an important pipeline. The alternatives are certainly there, but you're going to have to get you know, things to scramble. You're going to have to move ships back from from uh, the Washington state. Uh, two of them were heading out to open ocean to sell to Indonesia. Uh, and, and, and one was heading to South Korea. And they did an immediate right turn, came right back in the straits of Juan de Fuca and up uh, the Bird Inlet and dropped off two significant amounts of uh, gasoline that was very necessary for, uh, for the lower mainland of Vancouver Island. One thing that hasn't been discussed and this is really interesting. The problem is with gasoline is that it's, it goes with the blend. You need ethanol to be blended into gasoline to meet your octane levels. So if you want this 87 octane. In order to do that, we're using ethanol, which has 105 octane, blending it with, you know, with pure gasoline at 70. And uh, with the combination, I'm giving you two numbers here, getting that 87. Right now, ethanol is stuck in trains, and those trains are on the other side of the bridges. So it's very hard to get that blending and those components in. I think that's been the biggest challenge. And one of the reasons why we've had this rationing isn't so much that uh, the Trans Mountain is shut down. That's critical. That Parkland can't get its uh, the refinery in Burnaby, can't get access to supply um, or make fuel. Uh, with that, it's that the, the, the ethanol issue has been really a problem. And so that's kind of a scoop that uh, I know has been out there. I've sort of thought about it many, many times in my experience doing this in the past. But if I, there's one takeaway in all this, it's that uh, they've been able to manage. And one of the reasons why we have an extension of the, of the, uh, uh, of the rationing, which hasn't, by the way, been used anywhere in Canada, to my knowledge, since 1942. But the main reason is because of uh, uh, the challenges with ethanol. It's, uh, it's, it's the, the, the sort of hidden reason I don't think any reporters grabbed it, uh, so they may want to do that now that we've done, we've opened the uh, we've opened up the can of uh, worms. But uh, mm. I think we're going to get through this. But let's get the rail up and running first, and then I think that uh, and hopefully in a week and a half things will start to get back to normal. It's a good reminder that these black and white solutions of uh, oh let's just cut this off doesn't really fly. Um, good reminder that you know things are so well integrated. That's for sure. Yep. Um, that's for sure. Now, prices were supposed to come down last week, Dan, into the week after Thanksgiving, U.S. Thanksgiving, and some areas of the country saw it and some areas didn't. So how is that even a thing? So I look great in eastern Canada. I look terrible in western Canada, except for Vancouver, where they did, in fact, fall 10, 11 cents a litre, as I had predicted on, uh, what was it, Friday. Yeah. What's happened here is, and I think, you know, gas stations from B.C. Interior to Alberta to Saskatchewan, to, El, uh, to Manitoba and the northwest quadrant of Ontario, because they all get their supply by rail uh, through Winnipeg and through to Regina. They have some explaining to do. The wholesale price for gasoline dropped 9.7 cents a litre for Sunday. Every gas station, anybody buying it, replacing the gasoline they're selling, suddenly had a 9.7 cent discount. Yesterday, gas stations were advised in Western Canada that it would fall an additional 3.5, 3.7 cents a liter, which now means that they are net advantaged all by almost 14 cents a liter. So the question is, why are prices remaining stubbornly high? I would expect after 24 to 48 hours, when you've you know you've started you've sold a lot of gasoline, you're 
stations you're replacing with much cheaper gasoline, you pass those on to consumers. And we know that when gas prices go up on markets and uh, the gas stations are being told, hey, guess what? It's going up five cents a liter. Man, they're up in a microsecond. Oh, like right now. Yeah. So, you know, Ontario, Quebec, all saw prices drop. Um, Maritimes will see the same. My biggest problem right now is that I'm not seeing that in Western Canada, the big cities, the Calgary's, the Edmonton's. There's a bit of small, you know, decreases here and there. But, uh, you know, I'm watching. I have to because, you know, it's independent gas bars that I tried to fight for many years ago as a member of parliament when they were being put out of business by the supplier. But, you know, I really think they've got to be very, very careful not to push the envelope here. It takes about eight to 10 cents a liter for a good gas station to run a, a decent business, even with volumes. You need to make something to honor your credit card. You have to cover the cost of like the overhead to run a gasoline station isn't easy, apart from running your convenience. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at gas stations right now in, in, in Calgary, charging $1.43 when it's costing them $1.13, $1.12 to buy their fuel. That's a $0.31 cent a litre retail margin. I can defend 8 to $0.10 cents of that, but I cannot and I won't defend the other 20 So I think it's really important gas stations who are listening in have a discussion with their jobbers, with their managers, with their pricing uh, strategists and say, look, maybe we uh, we shouldn't push the envelope here because the public is getting really angry at a time when we need to be saving and these savings should be passed on. Goodness knows we paid a lot of money in the past. It's time for them to uh, to give up and uh, give that money back to who it belongs to every motorist in uh, the provinces. Well, we've seen an awful lot when it comes to groceries and everything else. So the squeeze is, is all over the place. So it, this is a strange place for us, Dan. Not normally. Normally, we, we pick on government policy. But in yeah. this particular case, these are these are retailers who are buying wholesale for cheaper than they have been, have decided to just not drop the price so they can right. turn that, which would be normal practice, typically. Yep. Huh. So look, if I'm, at, I'm in Calgary, uh, I know that my wholesale price right now is in the 78 cent range 78 and i have 10 cents for the federal excise tax that's 88 i have 13 cents for the provincial tax that's 91 and then i have 8.84 for the um for the uh, carbon tax so roughly another you know it brings me to about a buck uh and then i have uh you know on top of that the hst gst um so I'm looking at a scenario playing out here where I think, and I missed 10 cents there, but a dollar 10, but a dollar six plus HST brings you to about a buck 12. So I'm hoping that gas stations begin this whole process of understanding that the numbers don't lie and people can find this stuff. Out. You know, it's uh, Shane, I can look Petrocan daily rack price. Uh, Shell opens its numbers up too. They're pretty very similar in terms of what is the wholesale spot price for gas stations in you know who want to buy gasoline off the so-called rack, the wholesale price, and that's without any discounts. I'm not including that. So I, I think it's really critical if they've done it in Eastern Canada and in every most cities. Why aren't they doing it out west? And it's there's no reason for this. I, I I'm scratching my head. I talk to folks in the business and. It's, they, it's happening because no one's putting a spotlight on it and they should. Yeah. Well, and hey, if we're going to take the industry into account, um, we've got to take everyone into account as consumers and say, you know, what's what's the best way to do this so we can afford to do it? And if someone's trying to get greedy uh, for whatever reason, then that doesn't, that should not fly with Canadians, Canadian voters and and everything else. So, uh, yep. man, that's, that's clear stuff. That's a scary notion too. Um, 
so one last little fun piece that I wanted mm. to talk to you about, and we've talked about Canadian petroleum reserves, like the, uh, the, the special petroleum reserves in the States and other countries and all these things. Canada has a uh, syrup reserve. <laughs> Maple syrup. Yes. We do. We do not have a, a petroleum reserve. And I do ask this playfully, Damic Tag. Yeah. Should we be concerned that we have more policy around syrup reserves than we do uh, <laughs> integral energy? The OPEC of, uh, of maple syrup. <laughs> oh, that's a story in itself. But when we were actually, we, I'll, I'll expose this now. Ryan is working on on exposing oh. some of that storyline because okay. that in itself yeah, right. is is a fun one. So, but yeah. yeah, so it is kind of concerning to me to think that as Canadians, we vote and support maple syrup reserves more than we do keeping our yeah. cars moving, our homes warm. Well, I've had that question asked, not in the context of maple syrup, but why don't we have a strategic petroleum reserve? And the short answer is we do. It's 1.7 million billion, uh, sorry, trillion uh, barrels of oil uh, sitting in our oil sands, which can be called up very quickly. Um, and we have the ability to scale up or scale down, unlike our American friends who have to move these machines around to frack. Uh, so, no, I, you know, I, the idea of a reserve is great. Um, frankly, if we're more concerned about syrup than we are about uh, oil and natural gas, I think uh, it suggests that maybe the country. Um, is in line for, you know, perhaps a, a factory reset, if you will, yeah. in terms of its priorities. And I got to tell you, Shane, I'll leave this with you. I think that that reset is coming in a major way where Canadians become reconnected with what matters. And uh, I don't want to say it's my favorite topic, but, uh, you know, taking and trivializing and taking for granted our energy sector is one of the most obvious examples of where Canadians get so woefully wrong. And uh, unfortunately, it's going to cost them. Um, and perhaps we'll get policies that will bring us back to reality. But in the meantime, you know, denigrating pipelines, denigrating the oil and gas sector, you know, what hospital do you want to have shut? What social program do you want to cut? What pension do you want to cut? Because this uh, idea that you can have all these wonderful social programs and live this life of Riley with cheap, affordable, abundant energy is being whittled away and compromised. And I understand a responsibility on environment, but there's also overkill. And that's where we are in Canada. I just start my only whole, my starting point is if you're worried about emissions, why aren't you giving credit to the Canada's oil and gas sector for dropping at 30% in the past 15 years? No other country has done that in the world. There's a really great quote that was given to me. Uh, was we can't spend our way out of climate change. In fact, <laughs> we have to do the opposite. We have to stop spending on it um, and yeah. stop buying so much stuff that we don't need. And I love that approach. Mm -hmm. Uh, that changes the look altogether. One last very important question for Dang McTig yeah. Canadians for affordable energy, um, because of this strategic syrup reserve, uh, waffles or pancakes, which, which would you choose? waffles, yeah, waffles, waffles for sure. Yeah. I, it's I'm the pools, waffle. right? It's the pools yeah, of syrup. <laughs> it holds it back better. That's yeah, right. exactly. Right. Rather than sort of just tunneling off. And then, of course, that forces you to take your plate as yeah. long as no one else is looking yeah. and lick it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Damn it, Ted. Great to see you, bud. Thanks for being here. Always. Thanks so much, Shane. Cheers. This is the Shift Podcast. One of my favorite things about working on the Shift is the amount of learning that I get exposed to. You are so kind when you send messages saying, I didn't know about that topic and thanks for sharing some light on it and stuff like that. Truly though, 
I get to learn the most here. I really do. I learn about so many cool things. Last week came up the conversation around Christmas trees, real ones, fake ones. And I received a text message that I've already shared this piece with you, but really wanted to get into it again because I think we're going to bring it full circle. We received a text message from Steve who had said that he knew somebody that used live trees for their Christmas tree, then planted them. So I thought, let's dig into this a little bit more and see what is possible. We have a guest coming up next in just one second here after we talk to Steve who does live trees. So we have the evidence that it's doable and it happens. First though, here is my call in the original story about Sam, her family's Christmas trees that were live. And thanks Steve so much for being here with me on the shift. Yeah, no problem, Sam. Our executive producer, Kelsey, uh, I told her this story and she's like, you can't do that. So tell me the story about your friend <laughs> and the Christmas trees. I want, this is so cool. Yeah, well, we grew up together in uh, in high school, and um, when we were in our early 20s, we were hanging out for a while together, and uh, we decided to go spend the weekend out of her, uh, in Maple Ridge, where she grew up, and uh, we drove by the house where, where she spent her first few years, and uh, they would use a live Christmas tree every year, and then after Christmas, they would plant it out on the property. They had a, a large property out there, and... Uh, yeah, and we went out there 20 years later, and they had all these trees, and she, you could see her face just light up, and she could, re, you know, recall all the memories of her Christmases, and she would say, that's from this year, and this tree's from this year, and they're, you know, 15, 20-year-old trees. Huh. What was that experience like for you? I mean, what did your family do with Christmas trees? Anything like that? No, we just had a regular live tree, and after it was done, it was just... Uh, burned out in the yard or whatever, right? I mean, when I grew up, we would burn, everybody would burn leaves on the weekends in the fall. We had like what they called burning weekends. I know some friends here, I, I tell them that story and they can't believe it. Like, you can't do that. That's what everybody did back then when I was growing up. Yeah. That's Vancouver. Vancouver was just, just covered in smoke in the fall. <laughs> Such yeah. a, and, the, and the leaves being all, you know, kind of wet and gross too, right? Some of them exactly. would make it so smoky. It's, it's, Absolutely, yeah. And everybody had a wood-bearing fireplace, too. And it was just the fall in Vancouver. It was just, there was smoke everywhere. It was just, yeah, it wasn't very nice. Well, it is funny, but nowadays, when nobody does that, the nostalgia of those smells no. takes me right back there, though. I hate the smell of wood-bearing fireplace. Oh, do you? It. Oh, I can't stand it. Oh, oh, no. Geez. Don't get me going on that. <laughs> I love that. Uh, Steve, so tell me, do you know how they pulled off these Christmas trees? They must have kept the root ball, put it in a planter, and yeah, just... they Yeah, I guess they would buy a live tree, and it was, I, I, I don't know exactly how they do it. They just have it like in a like a, a black plastic pot that you would buy a, any, like if you bought a load of engine or something at the, at the nursery, come in a black pot. And it was just a live tree, and they would decorate that, and then put it outside after they were done for it with Christmas. I love just it. Just like a live, a live uh, fir tree. Yeah. You know. Have you ever considered doing that? Now, I mean, I I don't know about you. I'm amazed. I I've never heard of this. I think it's an absolutely fantastic idea. Have you considered doing it? I don't have the yard to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> you need it. You know, you need. They, yeah, they had a big piece of property. All the properties out there, you know, years, 35 years ago, they were all fairly large out in Maple Ridge. But, yeah. you know, because you need a large, large room for these trees. They do get big. Right? Yeah. yeah. 
Now, on your text message yeah. that you sent, uh, you did say Sam. Was Sam the name of your friend? Yeah, Samantha. Yeah, she went by Sam. Yeah. Yeah, and she's 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 gone now. Yeah, she is. Yeah, I hadn't heard from her in years, and I looked her up just a couple of weeks ago online to see what she'd been up to, and yeah, she passed away a couple of years ago. Oh, that sucks. Um, pretty cool though, Steve. When you think about it, that you know you do have this memory of Sam, and and now uh, because you've shared it, now you've shared Sam. You've kind of brought her back to life, man. Like you've Sam's trees yeah. are, you've shared it across yeah, the country. Yeah, that's really cool. That's yeah. cool. Well, Steve, I think the story is amazing. I really appreciate you. I mean, you and I will never see eye to eye about that wood smoke thing, and but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I really appreciate you taking my random phone call and uh, and sharing the story of Sam and those trees with us here on the Chef. Yeah. Appreciate, it, buddy. No problem, anytime. Now, from that conversation that we had inspired by Steve that has truly brought Sam back to life, um, I it was a conversation that I had with Steve uh, last week, and then uh, we've played it, and now we've played it again for you here, and I don't know about you, but I just feel like it. the story truly brings Sam back to life. Kelsey, our executive producer, said, no way, not possible, can't do it, it does not work. So, we wanted to find out. Turns out, there is a group in Vancouver called Evergrow, and... Um, it does work. It is a thing, and it will actually work. Daichi Ishikawa is the co-owner and operations manager of Evergrow Christmas Trees. Now, you guys do both. Daichi, you do both the uh, plantable <laughs> uh, living tree, and then you do uh, a sustainable, responsible cut tree scenario. Um, tell us quickly about the cut trees, because I know there is shortages of trees moving right now in the world and then let's focus on the living trees sure absolutely and thanks very much for uh having us shane um the on the country side <clears throat> essentially living trees are limited to about eight feet in size beyond that it starts to get prohibitively heavy as well as the um the the survivability rate of the tree does decline after it's matured somewhat and so once it's back in the ground um oftentimes trees larger than that will end up dying and so what we do with our customers, some customers really want a tree that is truly grand and tall and fills their space. So between the seven to nine foot range, we offer um, a line of cut trees called sustainable harvest trees. These are uh, sourced in um, the Kootenai Mountains in the province of British Columbia. And they're actually harvested using a technique called stump culture, which um, some of your listeners may not have heard before. Um, this is a technique whereby we would cut the tree above the bottommost branches and leave a, um, a pretty substantial stump in the ground. And what that does is it actually allows the tree to regrow another tree from that stump. And so there's documented cases where um, a single stump has produced five or six or seven Christmas trees over the course of 70, 80 years. Wow. Um, and so these trees are harvested using this technique and they're sent down to us. And so it doesn't actually kill the tree even though it is a cut tree. So that's the the cut tree side of our business. That's cool. That's really cool to think that. And it makes sense too, right? Where where they would just start to regrow from there and and not die. And I would imagine it gets a bit of a head start for that matter. For sure, yeah. Yeah, cool. All right, live trees. Live trees. So this is the bread and butter of our business. Um, We work with a, uh, um, a farmer out in Chilliwack um, and he digs up the trees sends it to us, we deliver it to our customers' homes. Um, our customers will keep the tree for anywhere between three to four weeks. And then we take the tree back and we go and actually replant it 
in local farms, um, landscaping projects, yards, parks. Um, and so they go right back into the ground and continue absorbing carbon um, and being a, a happy tree. So I want to get a tree. You bring me a tree with a root ball. I can't help but think of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation when they're driving with the tree at the beginning on the on the woody wagon, uh, the, uh, the front wheel drive sleigh, as they sing at the beginning, um, with the root ball of the tree hanging off the front. Does it go into a pot? Like, give us the basics of what that looks like and how big is it? I mean, because you said seven feet for the other one, so I'm assuming it's up to about seven feet. Um, what what does it look like when you wheel it in my house, Daichi? That's correct. So we have trees uh, between four feet and eight feet in size. Um, and these trees are all potted when they arrive at your door. Um, and so they they are potted with, it, with the root ball intact. Um, and then we will put a layer of mulch on top um, for both aesthetic purposes as well as to absorb the water. Um, and then when they're placed in your home, they will be placed uh, with a drip tray. So there's no water running around in your house. Um, it's truly a mess-free experience. We deliver these trees with uh, wheel covers, with shoe covers. Um, we even bring a vacuums to vacuum up all the needles that are left behind if there are any. Um, thankfully, living Christmas trees actually tend to drop way less needles than cut trees because by definition, they're living. And so they retain their needles a lot better hmm. um, and they smell better as well. So all in all, it's uh, we think it's actually a superior product, um, but you know, people have preferences for larger trees as well. So we, we also offer that product as well. Now, I would like to give you all the credit and say that this is a brand new, amazing, you know, sustainable idea of using the circular notions of of living in our world versus the recycling notions. Um, you know, we've started to see evidence of, of circular products, reuse, 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 repurpose, repurpose as being far more efficient than recycling. Um, but this has actually been going on for quite a while. Like this is not really a brand new thing that you've managed to pick up here. It's certainly not a new idea. Our company itself has been going on now since about 2009. Um, so we are tw 12 years into our operations. It was actually founded by a pair of UBC forestry students who uh, who had some experience in um, in arboriculture. And uh, I think one of them actually had, uh, a, um, their family was involved in Christmas tree farms in the past as well. So they had this background and they saw an opportunity to to change how Christmas trees um, are, are really, the, the whole idea around a Christmas tree in Vancouver um, now, they weren't actually the only ones either. There's a company down in LA called Living Christmas Tree that also um, uh, operates this concept. And then also there's another one, I believe, in the UK um, that does this as well. It's amazing. How have you guys been handling the roads? I know you said Chilliwack for the farms. Now, that highway between Chilliwack and Abbotsford has just been, you know, it's been a bingo at best whether or not you're going to get through there the last couple of weeks. Uh, how are you guys handling with everything? Are you experiencing shortage yourself too, or are you able to move product? We have been able to move uh, product. Thankfully, um, our supplier has been very good with uh, letting us know the road conditions and identifying opportunities to kind of slot in deliveries where we can. Um, we're certainly affected by the uh, by the recent flooding as well. We have a shipment of trees currently stacking, uh, stuck in Cranbrook, so we're fingers crossed that uh, the highways open, reopen soon. Um, we're certainly not immune to weather here either. Um, definitely some of the, the recent uh, downpours have been difficult to deliver through. I personally made uh, about 10 deliveries on uh, the, the, the very rainy day that we had recently. So um, 
that's uh, that's certainly been a challenge, but nothing we can't handle yet. Wow. Uh, so who decides where the trees go? When I come by a tree, Daichi, you come over, um, we we set up the tree, we have Christmas, and then I just call you and say, hey, by the way, we're good, and you come scoop that up, and do you decide where it goes? Do I pick where it goes? Is it my tree? Is it the farmer's tree? Whose actual tree? How does that work? Mm-hmm. So we actually give the customers the option. Um, if they would like to keep the tree and replant it themselves, we will send them some instructions to make that as smooth as possible. Um, if they would like us to come pick up the tree, which most customers um, choose that option, we will come pick up the tree. And then we have a number of uh, partners um, who are farmers in, in the Fraser Valley, um, landscaping companies. Um, and so we work with them to replant the tree um, where they see fit. It's a really cool idea, Daichi. It's really, it's neat. <laughs> it really Thanks, is Shane. I've been, uh, I've really been uh, trying to, trying to learn a lot about it um, and, uh, you know, steep myself in the Christmas tree business. It's certainly not something that I imagine myself doing, but the more I learn about it, the more excited I get yeah. um, about the, the opportunity we have here to really change how we um, as consumers, you know, um, look at Christmas trees and how we interact with them and engage with the, the whole industry. Well, I, you know, I had a conversation with my son that I shared here the other night was he was very upset about plastic straws. Um, and he loves McDonald's. He's McDonald's still got paper or plastic straws, but then McDonald's, at least in our area, switched to pla- to paper now. And he was so mad, mm-hmm. right? And then I said to him, I said, well, why are you mad? He's like, well, I like plastic straws. Like, oh, paper straws. And I said to him, I said, but why don't you just not use a straw? Right? And his mind was blown because he was only in front of plastic or paper. He was not in front of, do I need a straw? And I think what you've mm-hmm. created here is not the conversation of real tree or fake tree, Right. You've created the what if all the trees could live? And I think that that's really cool. That's the neat part of it. And we're not even talking about this is not Charlie Brown's Christmas tree. No, these are quite full fledged Christmas trees. And uh, I can tell you they are quite heavy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's it's uh, certainly a piece of work to get them in, uh, especially with customers who have, uh, you know, multiple steps um, who may have difficult corners. But we do have a team of delivery associates that are hard at work um, getting these trees set up in people's homes. So um, certainly ha- not easy work. You don't have to do that anymore, fulfilling. do you? Do you still get oh, stuck I do doing deliveries. it? Oh, yeah. I certainly do the deliveries, especially the late night deliveries. Um, the, <laughs> you know, we have some customers who are uh, longtime customers, so we like to add a little personal touch to that as well. So yeah. um, I'm still very much out on the road doing deliveries myself. Yeah, so the, those days when it's rainy and everything gets wetter and heavier, and you're lifting this up and what, what, what foul words do you think of when you're like trying to <laughs> lug that out of the truck and into the house? You're like, this was the stupidest business idea ever. What a Daichi, what a dumb idea. I can't believe you did this. Is that what you uh, get in your head about? I'm not going to lie. There are certainly moments where <laughs> I question myself. Um, I come from a background in, uh, in tech and, uh, oh, you really? know, until very recently, I, yeah, I've told very recently I was, uh, you know, most of my day was spent developing machine learning algorithms. And, That's funny. Um, projects in data science. So it's uh, definitely a bit of a different um, different approach to <laughs> um, to life, but I'm certainly enjoying it. And, uh, you know, on those tough days when I'm lifting these trees, um, these days I don't really have too much time to go hit the gym. So I just see it as, uh, as a bit of a workout 
spaced out over the course of the day. Oh, congratulations on your graduation from nerdland to hippie land. This is pretty cool. <laughs> Thank you. You're that guy now from class, right? Where everyone says, hey, you know whatever happened to that Daichi guy? You'd be like, oh, dude, he's totally a hippie. He runs a tree farm now. Like, like yeah. the, you're, you're now that guy that's graduated all the way from the computers to the trees. You know, it's been funny. Um, a lot of my friends, I've uh, including my mother, actually, when I told them that, initially they do have a bit of a question mark um, top of their heads, but uh, at at some point it clicks for them, and they they basically tell me, you know what, that that makes sense for you. And I've always been a little bit uh, out there in terms of the things that I do get involved in, so I think uh, for them it wasn't much of a leap um, from uh, who who they saw me before. Yeah, this is cool. I like that. I like that you're finding your way with it too. That's really cool. We like that here on the shift. Uh, if you want to check it out, it's evergrowchristmastrees.ca and uh, the co-owner operations manager, Daichi Ishikawa. Uh, thanks for being here, man. This is a really cool story. Not only is it heartwarming, um, the personal story is cool and it feels responsible and i'm excited i went to melanie and i said hey so what do you think of this idea and i took sam's story about or steve's story about sam and how they had all these memories of these trees in their yard now they had the space to put all the trees there over the years and every single tree had a story and then um you know then learning about you guys and i said to melanie I said apparently it's actually a thing what do you think about it and she's like as soon as we have a place that we can put them i think we should start so you've inspired us well, Shane, we have a tree for you whenever you want. <laughs> and a salesman, too. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, bud. It's nice to meet you, Daichi. Thanks, Shane. It was a pleasure to be on. This is the Shift Podcast. It's time for the technological world in Blaine Kylo. Solocore.com, S-O-L-O-C-O-R-P-S.com for Blaine Kylo. He loves games. He loves gadgets. Second, though, to his dadding and his love for gravity, mostly gravity in the wintertime. Um, you been skiing yet? What's the uh, status there, Blair? We were up at Whistler for a couple of days on opening weekend, so that was a kind of cool place to be. It wasn't bad the first few days. I think it's not great up there now because... You might have heard about these atmospheric rivers. Heard about well, those. Well, they're, they're actually falling in Whistler uh, right now as rain. It's so warm right now. It's springtime weather. It's like 12 degrees outside. It's crazy. Now, that same weather is uh, getting into Banff, Sunshine Village, where it's not as warm, and they had to close Sunshine because it's just too much extreme weather blowing around there. So... Um, yeah, a little unlucky, hey, where the rain is, the snow and the rain are all happening. That's too bad. But soon enough, it'll turn. Yeah, it looks like this weekend will the precipitation will get back to snow as it should be. All right, let's get started with the technological world with Blaine Kylo. Blaine, before we talk about what you're excited about for this Christmas, let's talk about what you're excited about for a year from now. Yeah, I know it seems kind of silly to be talking about a game that's a year away from release, but this is kind of an exciting game. It's from Bethesda Game Studios. It's called Starfield. It's due to release on November 11th, 2022, 
And this week, we actually got a first sort of proper look at what Bethesda is putting together. Here's a little bit of Todd Howard talking about what it's going to be. I think the one thing people underestimate about video games is that people think it's just playtime. But I always say that the one thing video games can give you that nothing else in entertainment can is that feeling of pride, right? Look what I did. And even though we want to make a game that is very big and is very long, you can play for all of those years, it's all the paths you didn't take that make it special to you, that you feel like when you finish that quest, that you feel that you accomplished something that week. The people who love video games can always say like, you know, what'd you do today? I saved the world. Steve, it's a good yeah. cool approach. So Bethesda has given us some pretty amazing games lately, Fallout 4 and Fallout 3 and Fallout that so the Fallout series. So those are big, massive role-playing games set in a post-apocalyptic future. They're also responsible for the Elder Scrolls games. So most recently Skyrim, a game that's like 15 years old and people still play hours and hours and hours every day. Starfield takes us into space. And one of the things that Howard said in this video, it's a seven minute video called The Endless Pursuit. And this is sort of a whole series of Into the Starfield videos that we'll probably be watching over the next year talking about the creation of this game. The mechanics of this world, says Todd Howard, are different than the games that we're used to playing. So when they're taking us into space, we might actually get a bit of a different game to play at the same time. We got a look at some concept art, got a little tease about uh, some things that they're they're planning to do with the game. This is just a real early look, but I'm already excited. It's cool stuff. Now, there are many, many years that are on your list here with all these games, because these games all happen in the future or in the past, but you've got some updates uh, for some games, and I, I'm starting to feel your doubt about Cyberpunk, so tell us what's coming up. Well... Because games are and game systems are mostly connected to the online world, game developers can update them. And a couple of weeks ago, I was mentioning how Battlefield 2042, this multiplayer shooter from EA, was and had a few problems. Well, the third update from EA releases, uh, I think, today, tomorrow. Um, and the, the developers at DICE promised more updates in December to make that game even better, to make it a little more stable and a little more fun for people to play. Halo Infinite, meanwhile, which hasn't actually released yet, it doesn't release officially until December 8th, they've also made changes to their game. The multiplayer mode was a surprise release last week, um, and what uh, 343 Industries have done is they've actually... They're giving players who are playing the multiplayer more experience every day for playing. This is due to complaints by players that it was too difficult for them to collect this experience. The experience is really vital to how players customize and enhance their avatars in the game. So um, making changes to that to make players more happy. Cyberpunk 2077, meanwhile, we talked about that a year ago. Um, it's been updated more than 10 times in the last 52 weeks. CD Projekt says that the next-gen console update that they've been promising for six months will arrive in the first half of 2022. So we'll see if they make good on that promise. 
so many of us have been guilty on times say, ah, video games will rot your brain. It turns out gaming for good has, uh, they've kind of started to figure it out and how to make this real in life, haven't they? Yeah, this is, it was a really cool thing that happened uh, today, yesterday, depending on where you are. December 1st is World AIDS Day. And this year, RED, which is the organization um, partially founded by Bono to raise money to fight HIV AIDS, they actually created a Minecraft server and invited a whole bunch of um, professional gamers and Twitch and YouTube streamers to play on the server. And what they did is, Anytime somebody made a donation to the Red Fund, um, things would happen in the Minecraft world that the the players would all have to deal with. So if you made a $20 donation or something like that, some kind of a creeper or some other kind of a mob boss um, danger thing would be thrown into the world for everybody to, to confront. I thought that was a real fun way of bringing some... Um, awareness to uh, people living with HIV AIDS, but RED has also branched out and it's not just HIV AIDS anymore. They're also supporting um, relief efforts due to COVID-19 in areas of the world that need that help more than others. So um, some worthy gaming happening today in support of that. So what have you been um, last couple of days, had your thumbs twiddling over? Any particular ones that you want to confess? You know, I've, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm waiting patiently for Halo Infinite, and I've been reluctant to start anything. I finished a couple of things, and I didn't want to start anything because I know everything's going to drop as soon as Halo Infinite lands in my hands. But I did pick up uh, Dishonored 2 from Arcane, which is the company that developed a game that we've been talking about recently Um that repeating day game, Deathloop. I like that world so much that I've gone back about five years to play one of their earlier games just because what Arcane does is so amazing. With Shane Hewitt, I'm Scott Schantz, uh, hanging out tonight, tagging along, learning the ropes, uh, and thrilled to be here. Blaine Kylo is here as well uh, from Solo Corps. It's S-O-L-O-C-O-R-P-S dot com. I'm uh, cruising your website here, Blaine, and uh, seeing some really, some really cool, cool stuff. Well, I hope so. That's the idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to ask you because, uh, you know, Shane was mentioning previous to this, uh, you're a ski dad and uh, I'm hoping to be a ski dad. Uh, my daughters are five and one and we're, this is the first year that we're going to try to get my, our five-year-old, her, her name is Sloan, on skis, but I'm terrified that she's just going to hate it because I, I'm like you, I love to ski. Well, here's two tips. One, don't expect you're going to be out there all day. If you get 30 minutes of fun and Sloan is ready to be done, let her be done. Okay. That's, the, that's the quickest way to ruin it is to push them too far. Um, but it's skiing for little kids is great. They actually, because they love being in the snow, they tend not to feel cold until it gets really bad. And because they're so low to the ground, they fall and they can't really hurt themselves right. and they don't really get going so fast that you're ever worried about them 
you know, going off the side of a run or anything. Yeah. So teaching little kids learning to ski is a blast. Yeah. And I, I really hope so. Cause I think like you, it's one of those things that I just love and I hope to be able to, uh, to share it with them. And you know, it, it's interesting because we're looking for used skis and now I I'm coming, I'm are starting to understand that the skis for my daughter are so different than the skis that I used. And there's so much, so many other things too. Like for example, this slopes app, uh, tell us about that. I love slopes. It's something I discovered a couple of years ago, and I re- was reminded this weekend when I was up at Whistler Blackcomb with my family because slopes pinged me and it said, hey, uh, I see that you're in Whistler. Are you doing some skiing? Would you like to record your day? And that's what's amazing about slopes is it prompts you when you get to the hill. And with a free, it's a free download. And the free app actually provides you with a whole bunch of value. So you get... It records all of your runs. It tells you how long you're standing in line, how long you're in lifts, and how much you're actually skiing. It'll tell you how fast you went. It'll tell you how many calories you burned. It gives you a little playback so you can actually see the runs that you did with this little sort of overhead map. And that's all just for downloading the thing. If you get a premium subscription, which is $25 US for the year, you get run-specific stats. So if you really want to know what you did on a particular run, you, you go up to premium. You get offline trail maps in case you're someplace where there's not a strong connection. And you can actually replay your runs on a virtual 3D mountain, which is really cool. Wow. And you can get a family plan for 40 US, which is good for you and up to five family members. And Curtis, the guy who develops slopes and supports it and keeps it going, um, he's made it really easy for you to gift a subscription, which is something that is not easy to do with all apps. So if you have a ski bum in your family or in your friends, a slope subscription actually makes for a really awesome holiday gift. Very cool. And uh, yeah, I love the idea of being able to, you know, at the end of the day, the people that you're competing with for who went fastest and who skied most actually having uh, quantifiable data there. And very cool that you can gift it. And uh, obviously Christmas coming so soon. And uh, you've got stuff about this red gift guide, which is awesome uh, because Bono is a part of it, as you mentioned before. I'm a U2 fan, but also because it is a chance for you to give gift, but also to give back. Yeah, that's the whole idea of the RED and the product RED um, program, the Code RED program is it's um, enabling organizations to sort of tap into uh, an, an entire industry that is already set up to provide funding to prevention programs, testing and treatment programs, education programs, and it all started with HIV AIDS. As I mentioned, RED has also shifted in the past couple of years to provide money and support towards programs to to provide COVID-19 relief as well. Um, And one of the things that makes sort of World AIDS Day a big deal this year is I learned um, that in Canada and around the world, Um, awareness of HIV has really dropped because there's been so much incredible work that's been done to come up with treatments to keep people alive and keep people um, living with HIV and with AIDS that it's no longer a big threat in a lot of people's eyes, but that education is so important because when awareness goes down, that's when the infection rates start to go up and become a danger to people in society. So Apple has been a partner with Red since the beginning when it was formed 15 years ago. They've already 
$270 million in that time. And this year, if you're getting an iPhone 13 or an iPhone 13 mini, an Apple Watch Series 7, you can get them in that product red color line and money then goes to the global fund to fight HIV and AIDS and also to support COVID-19 response efforts. And through December 6th, if you buy anything with your Apple Pay at any one of the Apple's retail outlets, they're going to donate a dollar up to a million U.S., and that money is going directly to COVID-19 relief efforts. Yeah, it's really cool. And there's some great stuff all over the list, too, of like a variety of price range. And then we've got a, just a couple of minutes here quickly to touch on. And I want to touch on this because I'm seeing this more and more places that people are doing this thing where you can purchase a title and I can become uh, Lord Scott Shantz or Duke uh, Blaine Kylo. But there's some problems with it. Well, there is if you're going to get uh, a title from the Principality of Sealand, and you might have heard about this place. This is a, an offshore platform that was built by the English military during the Second World War. It was actually um, squatted on by a guy named Paddy Roy Bates, and he said, hey, now I'm outside the English territorial waters. I'm now a country, and I'm <laughs> calling myself Sealand. And so selling these titles is actually one way that this Sealand makes money but hackers actually got onto the website and installed some malicious code. So anybody who is trying to buy themselves a title, if you did so in the sort of past six to eight weeks, your information was skimmed by hackers and they probably have your user information and all your payment details. So that's what you get for trying to buy yourself a royal title. <laughs> it is kind of uh, one of those funny things that uh, you can do that, that royal title thing. Well, I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to jump in there because we actually have a friend who does this, and their website is safe. It's Highland Titles. Uh, Stephen Rossiter is one of our contributors here on The Shift. It's highlandtitles.com. And, uh, and so, yeah, if you do want to go buy your title, there's great ways to do it that actually go to nature preserves and stuff out there, too. So you might want to check that out. That's cool because, I mean, the last thing you want is to become Lord Scott Shantz of The Shift, fancy, and uh, to end up broke because you've been hacked, right? The worst. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.